0: Hi, this is Andrew Miller from Business Enjoyment and this is another episode of The Tingle Zone. In this episode, I'm talking with Wade Thomas from aim to win a company focused on helping small business owners find success and overcome obstacles through one-on-one coaching, group work and online programmes. Wade helps leaders have fun at work, enjoy their business and experience true success. In our conversation, we discuss such matters as the difference between coaching and consulting, the challenges of managing burnout and staff turnover, and how processes and policies can actually hinder success. At the end of the day, success is achieved by ensuring compassion and empathy run throughout the business culture, which results in better employee attraction and retention, greater levels of innovation, and better customer service. Before we jump into the interview, if not already done so, please have a listen to my TEDx talk. If you go to my website, businessenjoyment.com, a pop-up will appear giving you direct access. Alternatively, take a look at my LinkedIn profile and you'll find a link there either in the profile itself or in the featured section. This talk sets out my ethos that life and business is about so much more than just money and sets out how you can be successful and happy at the same time. So do check that out, but for now, sit back, relax think about how you can bring more compassion and empathy into your business. And most of all, enjoy.
1: I'm Wade Thomas and I run a company called aim to win. And what we do is such a complicated question. (laughs) And the, the, The real basic answer is I work with leaders, small business owners to help figure out what's getting in their way and help them get it past it. Now, this takes a lot of forms. You know, I, I do a lot of one-to-one coaching. I do a lot of uh, of group coaching, group work. You know, both um, within companies, but also across companies. Um, I've done online stuff. You know, it's uh, it's kind of a what does it take? You know, to really help you know leaders get past that, help leaders get to where they really deserve to be, which is you know having fun at work, having you know enjoying their business, and having success, yeah. and and winning. Now, however, they define winning.
0: Well, that, literally, this is going to be my question. So, how, how much time do you spend defining what win actually means for them? Because I would imagine that's quite
1: important. Yeah, you know, as much time as it takes. So that right off the bat, you know, that's that's item number one is what does a win look like? You know, you know, we've been taught in society so many times that winning means more money and higher positions. You know, or a huge business and expansion and all those kind of things, but that's not always the case. Mm and you know certainly it's not how i define it and uh, and so we really kind of work what is your definition of winning not your parents not your spouse not your kids not your boss although the boss is important um but what is your definition of winning and then let's start from there because you know when you can win it for yourself you'll find that whatever it is you're leading or whatever business you're running is going to win for everybody else as well
0: mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Have, you, have you noticed any sort of shift over the last few years in terms of what people are looking for when they define what win means and what their successes are?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's been a mindset shift. I, I think it's, it's and a mindset shift isn't that they've changed their definition of winning. I think the mindset shift is they're not as afraid to talk about it. You know, so early on in my career, you know, to say that, you know, you want to help people. Or you know, to say that you want to have some kind of self-gratification. Well, that was taboo, and um, and now that's that's really changing. People are, are more open to facing that reality themselves, but also in communicating it, especially in the small business side.
2: Mm. The,
1: the big corporations are coming around to it as well, a little bit slower because you know there's you know a little bit more concerns when it comes to what people think about them. But certainly there has been a shift, and and I think it's accelerating.
0: Mm. I, and I think, as you say, with a larger corporation, there is definitely a, a wind of change. And you, you're hearing much more about purpose-driven businesses, even in the larger corporate space now than you were ever before. Um, and they've sort of been there, but um, they were very much unique. And that was that was the differentiator, like the body shop or something like that. We get here. But they were the exception rather than the rule. But there's definitely more and more of that coming through at a bigger level. Um, but, yeah, good to hear that the, the, the conversation is shifting at a lower level for you. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned there about, you know, back in the day when you in your previous career. So so what what led you to this point? How what was your story and journey that's that's got you to um, getting people to think really what's important to you know, what win means and what success means and getting out
1: of the way? You know, I've always been intrigued by the concept of winning. And so as a child, I was really, you know, really loved sports. Um, Love watching sports. I loved, um, you know, analyzing sports, looking at all the statistics. Um, I was fascinated by the fact that you know somebody could uh, could hit two forty in baseball this year. And uh, I know I know you probably don't deal with baseball a whole lot, but maybe they hit. 360. We'll,
0: we'll take that as a good score.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but seeing how somebody can improve dramatically from you know one year to the next, and it really intrigued me. And how does that happen, right? Because there's no. There's not necessarily a numerical explanation to it, mm. and so I was just fascinated by the idea of coaching. And you know, I, I grew up uh, playing soccer and um, in the '70s and uh, '80s in the U.S., which meant I was being coached by, you know, a random parent that was really knew a lot about uh, American football and maybe <laughs> baseball. And um, and so I never saw like the actual coaching. I never experienced that. Uh, you know, how somebody can actually get better. It was more of management. You know. I mean, were you, were you were
0: you were you just was it any sport that you were interested in, and and the the winning element of it? Were you just like fascinated the whole thing, or were there's a few several ones that you were just really deep into?
1: I uh, know it was it was pretty broad, <clears throat> you know, American football, basketball, soccer, even, um, you know, I looked at hockey, I looked at boxing, you know, all, all kinds of just different uh, different sports and. This element that you know we can work with people and really make them better just caught my attention at a really young age. Mm. and you would, you were,
0: you're were conscious of it at that young age of of the concept of coaching, of personal development, essentially, as a way of bringing results in a broader sense,
1: yeah, yeah, eventually, you know at first, it was uh, again, I, I didn't experience it that much myself. So yeah. I was like, well, how does this happen? so I just I read a lot. I've always been a reader, and I just read about it, and just you know, Learned that what what made the great coaches great coaches, you know, had nothing to do with telling somebody where to play. It had mm. to do with how did they teach them, and uh, and so I, I kind of had that, you know, experience at a young age, and then you know I get to my teenage years and just you know, kind of left that in the back burner because that's what you do, <laughs> and uh, went went away to college, got a business degree because that's what you do, and uh,
0: it, it, well the, the the degree maybe yeah business degrees yeah. that was that the
1: norm. You know that's what your parents tell you to do, right? And you know because you want to make money.
0: Yeah. Were they were they yeah. sort of business orientated themselves, or was they or they'd seen other people doing it and they felt that was the thing that you ought to do?
1: Yeah, well, my dad worked for a company, and uh, and so you know he saw that. Um, I think it was clear to most people I wasn't going to be a doctor. Um, I, I guess I you know maybe a lawyer, but because uh, that was kind of the popular thing is be a doctor or a lawyer. But mm. you know business school was kind of a compromise, so I did that. Uh, you know I came out and you know coming out in the early 90s out of college with a with a business degree in marketing um, i went to uh, i went to manage a retail store because that's also what you did at the time you know a lot of a lot of college students came out and worked in retail and um and it kind of started coming back then so i was in a a small town a relatively small town in a big urban area and uh, in, in southeastern florida and you know my store was in of a retirement community almost and i competed with stores that were in like miami and and Mm. large cities Mm. and you know i I beat them (laughs) and you know i wasn't a great salesperson you know it was uh so it wasn't me but what i found was the people that i had working for me were great salespeople, especially when i was able to give them little tips here and there and then when i lined them up so you know this customer comes in every wednesday i think you relate really well to them you know schedule you on wednesday you know and, and things like that um just really fascinated me you know i had a store that probably at its highest had like eight people there and in two years you know i had seven uh, seven people promoted to manage other stores and, and so that just really just you know talk about uh getting tingles you know that, that was tingles <laughs> and, and uh, wait, wait,
0: wait, wait, was it at that point was it kind of it was just instincts on your part you hadn't connected the, the, or had you applied stuff in, you know had you revisited some of the stuff you've seen in sports and reapplied it and learned it and tried techniques in from your degree and that sort of stuff you know what, what was it le- learned or instinctive basically
1: no i made it all up you know yeah. it was i mean i'm sure it was some of it that you know absorbed through osmosis from my childhood but uh, it was kind of like figuring it out as you go mm. and you know that was probably my first leadership lesson is um you know a lot of it really is common sense <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, and because I, you know, I was able to kind of muddle through it and you know, have a lot of success. And, um, but it was retail, and uh, retail wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. And, and so I went back to graduate school and, um, and it kind of took that, you know, really reflected then mm. and on um, what it was I really enjoyed. And that was getting the people to hit their potential, getting the people to succeed and to win. And and so I decided to concentrate in human resources, which um I, I learned much later that's not really what human resources is all about in a lot of companies. <laughs> uh, but, but the time, you know, that's what they that's what they tell you.
0: But the the, the promotion uh, pitch tells you that it is. Spin gets you, but it's, it's not what it's about. <laughs>
1: yeah. And um, but yeah, and so you know, so I eventually spent uh I said to do the math. I should probably memorize this number a little bit better, but uh, it was about uh, you know, almost 20 years in human resources in the field of human resources. Um, you, you know, I was really, you know, part of it's luck, but a lot of it was by plan. Is I did work for companies where HR was all about getting the people to, to be better,
2: hit
1: mm. their potential, to develop people, to you know help them succeed. So I stayed away. I never did. I never did paperwork. You know, I, I never did any of that kind of stuff. And. Uh, and you know, worked my way up through you know business unit executive positions at a very young age, and then became a chief human resource officer um in my late thirties mm. and And that's kind of like you're you know rising up the chain is kind of what you do you know you want to keep getting that next promotion right and uh, but what sucked is I found out that when you got to that when I got to that top h r job for a big company, it sucked you know it uh, the job wasn't helping people get better anymore it was um you know, working with the board of directors on reports. It was um, managing that, benefits.
0: That paperwork that you've been trying to avoid all the years before. <laughs> I know it
1: came back and got me. Um, <laughs> and and, and, and
0: yeah, before you got to that and that that journey upwards, had, had you actually been enjoying the day the the day yeah. job and the working with people? and It was fulfilling you. It's only when you got yeah,
1: to- you know, yeah, it was fun, right? So it was um, yeah, you know, my very first company. You know, it was a manufacturing company. We, we or the aluminum foundry so we melted metal and um you know I, had, I did a year in a union environment which was a little bit fun um but it was limited because inherent in a union management relationship is kind of a, you're limited as to how you can develop and grow people mm. um by the, by the handbook and, or the by the union contract then i you know then i spent time in non-union for many years and then it's like free you know, it was like blank canvas and I was getting a lot of autonomy to really help people grow and develop and help make the plant better. Um did a lot of work with, uh, with lean manufacturing, Six Sigma kind of stuff. And um, that really lit my fire, mm. you know, that, that company kind of ran its course. Um, I jumped, I jumped um, ship and took the next biggest opportunity, which brought me into uh, a home builder, which, um, you know, had I touched a piece of paperwork, I believe I would have been fired. (laughs) And, uh, there were, there were, there were some guys on the team, you know, guys and women on the team that, uh, you know, were pulled into that kind of the HR stereotype of, you know, I'm going to do the paperwork. I'm going to do all this kind of stuff. And they, they tend to disappear. (laughs) And so, you know, so I was really lucky again, that the company just really fit, you know, what it was I want. I had a great mentor there that sort of took, you know, what I muddled through in a retail store mm. and what I had learned in graduate school, um, some of which applies, but you know, not really a lot. We really kind of took that sort of that conglomeration and put structure, helped me put structure around it, helped me yeah. learn. Cause you
0: mentioned there that, you know, the mentor that helped you pull together that learning and that experience. So earlier on, you'd said that you'd never really experienced sort of coaching, mentoring, that kind of thing. So was that the point where you first started experiencing it? Or had you had other had had there been times before that, and you're starting to get the
1: taste? It, it, I got a taste before, but in a really serious manner where somebody was intentional about it. Yeah, that was the first. And um, you know and, and it only lasted for a couple of years. Um, but it really kind of refined my game and made me think of, you know how do you help people in a very structured and intentional way? You know, and uh, which is complicated, right? Mm. It's a big part of what I do, you know as a coach now is, you know, you put structure to something that's inherently unstructured. <laughs> so, you know, it's hard to come in. I can't come in with a program and say, this program is going to work for you. You know, because everybody's different. But I learned how to basically structure on the fly. Mm. And, and that was like a key skill set that, you know, got me really excited. And then that, that led into um, that led into the chief human resource officer role in a different company. And um, that was fun for a couple of years because I created everything. So I got to do all the fun bits. Right. And uh, the- it was during the <laughs> that's right. And it, and it was during the um, the downturn, you know, the 2008 financial crisis. Um, and so I had to do the fun stuff because there wasn't anybody else to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but then as it grew, it became more, uh, you know, legal compliance. Um, you know, dealing with the board of directors and, and, you know, not, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just, you know. It wasn't really lighting my fire as much anymore and um but the flip side of that was is you know in jobs like that you do make a lot of money and um and if you don't spend it that gives you something to uh to kind of safe to have a safety net when you jump into business for yourself mm. um was was that, were
0: you were you doing that were you actively thinking at that point i'm probably gonna jump out at some point and i need to have the safety net was that a yeah,
1: about halfway through yeah, I'm actually, um, you know, I, I grew up in a household and I had, a, had an upbringing that led me to not be very good at spending money. And so, you know, I was naturally famous. I love
0: that phrasing, not very good at spending money. So you're all <laughs> savers, in other words.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. So, you know, that gave me the, the ability to jump and do what I want to do. Yeah. You know, which I've been doing for the last seven years. And um, that's been, you know, I think is, you know, the beginning of my life work. Hmm. So what 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 did you, when you, you had this
0: plan, knowing that you were going to leave, what was your thought in terms of where you needed to be in order to jump out and do what you wanted to do?
1: To be honest, I didn't have a number. Um, I always it was always a concept, and it was always next year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was always next year. You know, there's always that fear, you know, about making that leap, um, and and so yeah. So each year it was next year until it wasn't. And uh, we, we had some things going on in the organization that, uh, that just, you know, pushed me in that direction. And so, so.
0: How, how, how quick was that switch to, you obviously say there's some changes in the, in the, in the circumstances. Was it a case of um, took you a while to, to adjust to that and realize this is the time or was it one of those, that's it I'm out.
1: <laughs> yeah, that one. That one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, that on the surface but the reality was is you know i've been building up to it yeah um you know you know my, my wife's at the time's response was uh what's well, about time
0: yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's, that was my wife's reaction
1: as well <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: funny isn't it <laughs> yep
0: everybody else knows
1: <laughs> yeah exactly but uh but yeah and so and, and there were some per- personal things at the same time. You know, my uh, my children were getting to an age where I wanted to start participating in what they were doing and, you know, what they were doing was three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, working people can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> not, not to say I'm not working, but you know what I mean? And, um, you know, and so there's a lot of like personal drivers behind it as well. And uh, so that flexibility and the freedom, um, you know, were really probably the the pushes at the end to mm. start my own thing.
0: Mm yeah that makes sense um so when when you made that decision did you know exactly what you were going to do and how it was going to happen and did that follow through or was it a little bit ah well,
1: it was a little bit ah uh, you know it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it always is right a
0: technical um, term obviously
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah you know it's um you know i I, mean, I had an idea of concept you know and um but as far as you know how that actually happens you know, and, um, the mechanics of it and, you know, like, you know, you gotta, you gotta get a business license. You gotta, you gotta incorporate, you know, you gotta like do tax stuff, you know, all that kind of stuff is like learning on the fly. Um, and then this whole idea that, you know, the, the business isn't just going to come land in my lap. So, so when you're a corporation, it, it lands in your lap, yeah. right? When you're on your own, it doesn't. And so this whole idea of, oh gosh, I, you know, I got a market <laughs> and, uh,
0: which, and, and I guess, okay, that that was in your college degree, wasn't it? Marketing, so you yep. weren't immune to it. But that's a few years ago now. So,
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so it's interesting. So I learned that marketing, you know, the path for marketing in 1991 and 92 um, was not the same. <laughs> it changed, and uh, you know, there, there was like stuff called social media, and um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Why did they not teach that in i do mean? i <laughs> i know exactly you know so it was um but i was also fortunate you know i, I sold to my network um i made some good money in my first year year and a half and um so i i had a, a long curve as mm. far as when i had to really get out there and start marketing when i wanted to grow my business
0: mm. and, and so, so, you, you had, you, so you had some, effectively some clients to run into straight away when coming out but what were you what were you doing stuff with was it, was it what you're doing now or was it more in the HR kind of thing, or you straight to coaching.
1: So, so it's kind of migrated. So I started my business. I, I want to be a consultant, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and particularly in um, home building, so I spent a lot of time there. And um, and so you know, I had a first, my first couple of jobs were in you know the home building space, a little bit of leadership development as well. And um, I think it, it, you know after a while, so say two and a half days. I decided that coaching would be a great thing to get into because it can open the door for the consultant So I landed a couple of coaching clients as well, and then I said, "Well, coaching is kind of fun." <laughs> 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 and so, coaching became a big part of my business, um, you know, henceforth. And um, and and what that looked like has really kind of it's changed over uh, over seven years. Mm. You know, some of it is growth, and you know. It, in myself but a lot of it is also just the way the world has changed so you know i started off very much um very business oriented on the coaching you know numbers things like that you know and uh leadership stuff but it shifts over time with, into more of a mindset you know it was about three or four years into it you know people start really mindset really became obvious that was what was getting in the way mm. and then um and then a pandemic came along and that changed everything
0: <laughs> <laughs> um which we'll get to in a minute so so the, that, that when you talk about that shift and noticing that it's mindset and those sort of things and and so when you shift to adjust to that are you going off and learning and applying and and and, and working how to do it or are you just muddling through and, and seeing where you go instinctively and using common sense working on yourself first and then applying to others? What's your, how did you shift that?
1: So one of my big passions is learning, you know, so I'm constantly learning and, um, you, you know, in, in a truth, the truth of the matter when it comes to mindset is, you know, I've been coaching mindset for 25 years. We just did cult mindset <laughs> until recently. Right. So, so a lot of those things really still apply. And I took some classes, you know, I also took some classes and followed some people that were just, you know, mindset gurus, if you will, and uh, to kind of round it out and, you know, maybe modernize my language. Um, but, uh, but really, yeah, you know, it's uh, the language has changed. The mindset has always been an obstacle. Mm. I think one difference is now is people are more open to the idea that mindset might be getting in their way.
0: You know that. So uh, yeah, because you say language has changed, but uh, you know, but people are being more open. That's going back to what you said at the beginning, where where where, uh, people are comfortable to talk about these things and accept them as things. What what what? But going back to the language point, what language do you think has changed specifically?
1: You know, before you had to change your way of looking at things. Now you change your mindset. Um, You know, I, I do a. Here's a big one. You know, I do a lot of work in compassion and empathy. And building out corporate cultures, I, I have a book on that. Um, we we would never have talked about compassion, empathy, in aluminum foundry in the late nineties. In <laughs> good heavens, if I use the word love, you know, out in HR's office. You know, quick. <laughs> and, and so, but those things are becoming more and more acceptable.
0: Even in so, aluminum factory in.
1: Well, i haven't been in one for a long time but yeah interesting so. <laughs> test <laughs> yeah i but i think so you know it, it's changing we're, we're more open to that but the funny thing is you know i i learned about you know the power of empathy and the power of compassion you know in the late 90s uh i never you know i didn't start calling it that until a couple of years ago mm. but you know back then it was you know walking in the shoes of the people treating everybody as individuals understanding where they're coming from, getting perspective. I would never have said empathy, compassion. I never, I never would have showed them love, good heavens. And, um, and so that's really been a big shift, I mm. think, in, in how we look at things. And again, now,
0: probably at that time, if, if those questions were being asked you as to what this is, it would have been what you would alluded to earlier on and say, well, this is just common sense.
1: Some of it. And, you know, although I will say, you know, back then, because I did, I always led that way. I always led with empathy and compassion. I can never tell. If my boss got wind of it, you know, I'd be out the door because, you know, we got hit numbers and metrics and hold them accountable and, you know, all those buzzwords. And, you know, so I just did it. Yeah. And to you. Yeah. And they say, you know, what are you doing? You know, and I would kind of have to hide it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm holding them accountable and the reality is is what i was doing is i was listening to what was going on mm. with the employee and you know i was learning about it and i was figuring out what's stopping them from being successful and then we would work on that and guess what you know a lot of times they'd be successful and you know and at the same time guess what they're hitting their metrics they're being accountable you know, I was still getting the same results. I was actually probably getting better results and, you know, without having to use the hammer that we had been taught to use throughout most of our lives. Was there a
0: point where you've definitively shifted from being a consulting company to a coaching company, or has it always been a bit of a blend that will always be there ultimately?
1: Yeah. You know, it's been, it's been a blend. The, uh, the thing about consulting is it is, it is fun. Um, don't get me wrong, but it also pays the bills. Um, you know, a lot of those contracts are, are large, and but I don't market it. So I sell consulting, you know, through my network, through referrals, things like that. The um, and then I market the coaching side of it. You know, it's uh, I really love you know the idea of working with people, you know, in a coaching, whether it be individual coaching, group coaching, online, whatever really seeing the progress and you know how their business is becoming more successful and, you know, and you'll appreciate this. You know, I'd love to see it when they start really enjoying their business again. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: yeah. So that, that leads me down that, that coaching path consulting, you know, a lot of the consulting projects accomplish the same thing. And, um, you know, and there's also often confusion between what is consulting and what is coaching? Cause they really do blend in well together. But what kind of ties it all together for me is, are we helping somebody be successful? Are we helping somebody really enjoy what they're doing? And, uh, you know, that's what does it for me. So whether I call coaching or consulting, you know, the end game is what's important.
0: Yeah. Take the persons they turn up and give them what's going to work best for them to get the result they need.
1: Yeah.
0: Who cares cares what label we put on (laughs) it?
1: Exactly. You know, I, I keep trying to think of something more fun to say than coaching, but I haven't come up with it yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so you you mentioned earlier on that uh, come uh, COVID and lockdown, that uh, things shifted a little bit. So what, what was what was your experience of that then?
1: You know, it, it was it was an interesting shift for me. So prior to COVID, you know, I, I had a, uh, a rather large corporate business and, and some small business. And what happened during COVID was uh, there was a couple of things that happened during COVID, but but with regard to this, is the business, the corporations kind of stopped their spending on people, and and so the corporate business really um, decreased. Hmm. The uh, the small business, however, increased, and you know it seemed like it became almost like it was a shift where small businesses were becoming a little bit more prevalent and engaged. I mean, a lot of them were fighting for their lives, but a lot of them were very successful during the pandemic as well. Hmm. And and that group really started kind of, you know, embracing the need to, you know, to develop themselves. I mean, with the, so, people, so,
0: the, the the small businesses that were coming to you in that time, um, were they the people who kind of knew that they could be successful in this time and just needed some support, or were they coming to you in a position of
1: ah, help,
0: and you turned them around and got them to realize they could be successful? If you, see the you know
1: difference. it's uh it's mostly the um the first one you know i think it was it was businesses that it was still kind of the same businesses that i targeted before you know businesses that uh, you know are ready to take the next step of growth but they don't know how and and it was still a lot of that now i still had some of the uh some of the scary moments um with some small business owners you know i, I had a, a client that i had booked prior to the pandemic It was a a yoga instructor whose business model was yoga retreats around the world.
2: Mm.
1: And, um, you know, was really trying to figure out how they take that next step in our business. We, you know, we started talking in probably January of 2020. And uh, by the time we, you know, we really started getting into it, the pandemic came and all of a sudden the yoga retreats around the world was gone. And so in that case, there was a little bit of, ah. (laughs) <laughs> um but the exciting part is we pivoted her business into an online business that is you know the core of her business even today yeah and she's back traveling the world again but that's more she's doing that for fun um you know doing the yoga retreats kind of as uh as something that's just enjoyable for her and her membership and um where the online business is is at the is at the uh, the core and so i had some of that as well where uh you know people were surprised by the pandemic and we had to pivot
0: but you were already uh, working with her so I mean the, right the, it was the it, you said the business grew during the, the pandemic so yeah. it was people that come into it. and what I'm thinking here is is um the mindset of businesses in that situation when there is a dramatic change how what how you can basically go into at least two different directions and, to, and it's down to mindset as to what route you go down and I was so That's intrigued right. to know what um what was coming to you
1: <laughs> well, that, that one was a that one was a great example right it was uh you know it was the mindset that she had was okay how am i you know how am i going to shift to keep going because you know i, I don't want to go back to the corporate world mm. um you know and so the people that i was working with um by and large the mindset was uh was two it was one of two things it was either okay how am i going to weather this out or it was how am i going to Create an opportunity out of this. I had some of that too, you know. What What are the opportunities to really just kill it in this time? The the ones that were, you know, really trying to stay in business, um, they weren't hiring me. You know, that was, you know, coaching at that time. If you weren't already engaged in it, I think small businesses were less likely to pay the money. Yeah. When they're trying to keep the doors open every day, so I was really kind of dealing with either how are we going to ride this out or yeah, you know, how do we really seize an opportunity here that maybe wasn't there before?
0: Mm. And I think, you know, it's just, it's just worth spotting that or, or pulling out. I mean, yeah, obviously you know it. <laughs> but yeah. the, 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 <laughs> the, the, the good businesses that do well, it starts off with the mindset of that individual to sort of how can we take opportunities? And then part of that opportunity is looking for somebody like you that can make their opportunities faster, quicker, better,
1: yeah. And and what I, what I do is, you know, I ask questions that they'll never ask, mm. you know, why can't you do this? Right. You know, because a lot, a lot of times our, we have our unlimited beliefs that kind of get in the way, especially in these times. I, I still remember talking to coaches, you know, in March, April of 2020, who just refused to do video coaching. <laughs> you know, I <I'm, laughs> i can't do it face to face. I'm not going to do it. I'm like, well, <laughs> that's very limiting. And, um, you know, and so, where I come in is really kind of challenging those, those belief sets with somebody because who am I, right? I'm not an expert in yoga. I'm not an expert in uh cryptocurrency or tech or any of those other areas that I work with people in. So I could ask the stupid questions and so much good comes out of stupid questions. So much good for business.
0: It's um, yeah, a powerful concept. I mean, the, the, any people that don't sort of get get the uh get that it's it's the it's the sort of the adult concept of many a true word comes from the mouth of babes or whatever the mm-hmm. the phrase is you know you get that kid that asks the awkward questions and suddenly you realize oh <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> I'd even thought about it that way why do we do it that way why do you do it that way um
1: I'm, I'm basically a kid with awkward questions when it comes yeah. to
0: that. <laughs> and, a, and a better vocabulary
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes yes a little bit
0: um so yeah uh, earlier on you mentioned your book when 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 did that fit into the timeline
1: so the book came out endemic you know it's um i asked that awkward question right why don't i write a book and um it's kind of funny it was um i was sitting in the swimming pool because i'm in arizona that's what we do (laughs) and uh (laughs) rub it in (laughs) (laughs) i was sitting in a swimming pool one day and it's kind of reflecting, I'm like, you know, if I had to pick, like, what is the one thing that made me successful in my career? Because when I was in a corporate world, you know, I, I was promoted pretty rapidly. Mm. And, and it really came down to the idea of compassion and empathy. And, um, and then I said, you know, I have a speech coming up, actually an in-person speech in September of, of 2020, if you can believe that. And I think I'm thinking about this in July.
0: Fair. And I uh,
1: I said, you know what? I'll do, I'll do it. I'm going to speak on that. I'm going to speak on compassion, and empathy.
0: So it's only 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 this point that you've you've attached those words to what it is you've done all your life.
1: Yeah, it was that day in the swimming pool it was the first time I'd ever attached that. And um, and then uh, yeah, I was on the phone with a friend of mine and a, a business associate, and I said, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to do a speech, and, and I'm also going to hand out a free copy of my book. And they said, "You have a book." I'm like, "No, so I'll write one by then." And okay. they said, "Well, it's only it's only two months away." I'm like, "Eh, how hard could it be?" <laughs> <laughs> so, so it turns out a little, little harder than I thought. And uh, and um, but you know, the good news, I I'd done a lot of research in the space by then, and uh, yeah. you know, and so I had that stuff done. So so I put it together um
0: so was that, so when, when you say you had done a, done the research beforehand what, what, did you mean with the intention of writing a book or you were you mean there was stuff in your head and and in, when once you started talking about the book you had a vision of where things would slot in and where it would fit in because you previously
1: done the research yes that one you know it's um and, and by research a lot of it is just you know a lot of the book just came out of my own life stories mm. and uh you know i mean i just you know i had done Research also in the past about companies that really get this right, you know, and, and stuff like that for just other purposes, right? For my own learning and my own development, and um, it was just a matter of like taking that stuff and putting it into a book, which, which I did. You know, I got together a couple weeks before the speech, um, asked a, a marketing company I was working with at the time to, you know, make it look pretty, and they got back to me a couple days before, and I didn't like the way they made it look. Yeah, and so I pulled the plug. And I said, so instead of giving my free copy, I gave him a free advanced draft copy. Or I forget what I called it. And then I took a couple months after that and I rewrote the book and, uh, and expanded it and added a lot of uh, personal stories and things like that. And then released it uh, in um, October of 2020. So I guess I'm, I took another six weeks or so.
0: And when you say rewrote, just to be clear on that, what kind of rewrote?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I went through it and I really just... um. I went through and expanded on different chapters and different concepts so i didn't necessarily change what i'd already written but i I made it broader and added some added a lot more into it a lot more meat a lot more stories
2: Hmm.
1: so so my writing process is probably different than um what they teach in writing school but uh but you know it, it worked for me and had i not uh asked that had i not made that awkward statement to to my business colleague on the phone (laughs) i wouldn't have gotten
0: there yeah so so um, from the heart the book's called um (laughs) which obviously fits with what uh what you've been talking about so just go into a bit more detail on what what's what people can find in there and and uh what sort of things people can take away from it
1: so the um the the, basically the heart of the book so to speak is the idea of of bringing yeah the funnels intended (laughs) yeah. I'll own that. Yeah. It's, it's a concept of bringing compassion and empathy into your culture as a business. And, and by doing so, you know, what it does is it really separates you from the pack. And so I talk a lot about the benefits of bringing that culture in and and it's got a lot of uh, benefits you wouldn't necessarily think of. We all think about the obvious, which is, you know, attraction, retention, engagement of employees, things like that. But it also helps with innovation. It also helps with customer service, customer care. Um, and, and it just helps with the you know the whole general welfare of your business. And and then I go into it and I talk about how you do it, what it looks like with your leaders, what kind of behaviors they have. And um, and then, you know, and, and I bring in real world examples, some from my own past and some from you know other companies and other experiences. And, um, the idea is it's, it's playbook's the wrong word. It's, um, it's almost like a guide to how you can bring that culture, why you should bring that culture in and how you bring that culture into your, into your business.
0: Mm. I, do do find that, um, somebody has to be a sort of certain way to get it. And then you're giving some extra tips on getting better at it. Or can you take somebody that's completely adverse to that sort of a concept and then actually start learning how to apply the things? Because it feels to me there's got to be inherent authenticity at the heart of it is what I'm thinking of.
1: Yeah, you know, it's um, I think there are some people in the world that just will never get it. Um, But by and large, I think um, people, it's a a learned skill. You know, it's uh, it really is. Now, some of the people that are really just going to be opposed to this kind of thing, it comes down to a language thing. And so I've actually talked about this in, in workshops and speeches I do about the book.
2: Because mm. this
1: question always comes up. My boss will never go for this. <laughs> He's old school. And, um, you know, but they will. They just have to look at it differently. You know, it's not about bringing compassion empathy into the workplace because we want to be nice people you bring compassion and empathy into the workplace because it works. And, and so if you're talking to somebody like this, that's the old school and you know, they're all about money and metrics and all those kind of things, well, compassion and empathy is gonna get them more money and better metrics. And, and so you kind of go at it, you take them where they're at, you see what, what's really driving them. And then this fits in as a way to accomplish their goals. And I, and I think you know, barring um, you know, people that are so far down that path and so close-minded, you can get just about everybody there. You just have to take a different approach.
0: Yeah, because if you get, and I guess that ultimately is, is um, you know, the concept of marketing, isn't it? It's getting the language right that fits the person that's going to buy, as you say, wherever they are. Um, there will, because it works at so many levels. There's got to be something that's going to work for somebody. It's just got to put it across in several ways until it resonates with what attracts to them
1: yeah, well, it's interesting, I had a boss really early in my career back in the uh, the foundry days. And you know he was very proud of his toughness um, and you know really, you know, cursed like a sailor, all those kind of things. And you know what? That guy was known amongst the employees as one of the most compassionate people they'd ever met. <laughs> and And he knew everything about his employees. He, he was, he, he walked in her shoes and he was beloved, but you couldn't dare tell him that. <laughs> Cause he might, he might change. But, but by the fact that in his mind, he, he connected the two, you know, somewhere deep in there, he connected the fact that, you know, what, if I care about my people, they're going to make me more money. You know, somewhere that clicked. And, and this is a guy that if you looked at, you say he would never buy it.
2: <laughs> and,
1: um, and, and as I sit here and reflect, and this is the first time I reflected in this way. You know i probably learned a lot about compassion and empathy from him even though i wasn't really realizing it at the time mm. you know and uh so yeah it's uh I, I think compassion the ability to have compassion and empathy is inherent in every everybody unless you're a sociopath being able to actually apply it in um in life or in business is, a le- is very much a learned skill and you can learn it
0: mm. yeah so I mean, at, at the heart, it's it's been human, isn't it? And then it's just working out how to be a better human.
1: <laughs> <to use> the... <laughs> Sounds
0: a bit cliched, but. Uh... <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, there's there's some there's some to that, although, you know, we don't want to be judgmental. But, but, uh... <laughs> <Judge your way>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so where where uh, so with the union business, where, where are things now? Where do you see things going? um in the in the future as as far as you can see things at the moment
1: you know it, it's interesting most of my work is really falling into one of two categories today um one is burnout mm. you know you've seen, you've seen this a lot with small businesses yeah you know and, and one of my core beliefs is that if you're if you own your own small business you deserve to enjoy your business and otherwise, go get a job. Yeah. and um, so there's a lot of burnout it's happening in a corporate as well. So I'm doing a lot of work and stress and burnout right now. and I'm doing the second piece is the whole um what we call on this side of the pond you know the great resignation. yeah you know, how how do you handle um, labor shortages and turnover and you know not being able to attract and keep people? and I think both those things are going to be very prevalent in the future. We may call them different things. I'm calling it burnout, but we also call it mental health. Um, and, and I think that's really where the idea of compassion and empathy come in. You now, when you have a heart-based culture, it solves, you know, both those issues. You start seeing burnout and stress go down. And a lot of that's driven by the fact that you have people really good people that are willing to run through the wall for you and are gonna stay because you built that culture. Mm. So as far as where I see the business going, I think it's gonna be a much larger emphasis on how do you apply the heart-based principles into uh, into business. And I think it's gonna to continue to trend that way.
0: I' cons for a second book.
1: <laughs> I'm not ready for the second book yet. <laughs> Is that are you giving you're not giving one of those awkward questions, are you?
0: Well, I was going to say, so by the time this podcast comes out.
1: <laughs> yes, I, I'll be announcing my second book by the time this podcast comes out.
0: <laughs> got plenty of time. Um, but is there something that you would like to um, to, to, to put out there in, a, in, a, in, you know, it doesn't have to be written format, but it, is, is there another sort of space in there for you to expand into? Uh, or, is, or um, no, book's good, got that, but let's just work on the business.
1: Yeah, there'll be another book coming out. Um, It's it's going to be um, similar concepts, but more of applied. Um, You know, how how do we take this to the next level? How does it actually look like? So the book kind of gives you a roadmap um, at a very high zoom level. And so the next book will zoom in on some of those. So what does compassion empathy look like in a day-to-day business? What does it look like in how I acquire customers? How does it look like and how I manage employees' performance? What does it look like with respect to how I attract people to come to work for my company? So it's, it's going to get to a little bit more granular and detailed on how you apply these concepts. Mm. First heard here. Although by the pod, podcast comes out, it'll already be released. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Go to Amazon now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 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 again, just for... for i mean I, I you know hopefully most people are kind of buying you know get what you say i mean it's sort of yeah, it a common sense but what what some of the arguments that might people might have against it is that they they may hear compassion and empathy and i guess some of the, ro- the 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 old school people might look at this and say well if you do that to people they'll just take advantage of you and they'll walk all over you um but that's not what compassion and empathy is is it
1: no, that's not. Um, you know, what happens is it's a two-way street. So if you show the compassion and empathy towards your team, they're going to show it back to you. Um, but it's interesting. That's not really what gets in the way. Um, I mean, sometimes that gets in the way. But there's some really um, insidious things that get in the way. Things like systems, bureaucracy. You know, we can't show compassion because we got to treat everybody the same. Yeah, you know what? I know, I know um, Jim's father just died and they were really close and he needs to take a week off. But you know what? Our policy says he can't have a week off. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have that. You have those kind of things that really get in the way. And the second thing is I don't have time for this stuff. You know, I don't have time to take. I, I can't take the time to get to know what's going on with my employees. I'm just too busy. And, and, and those are really the two biggest enemies of the heart-based culture.
0: Hmm. I'm I'm um interested if to in with the processes one who's raised there, which is quite a good one. And I know um some people I work with and what they do and how they get around it, but I'm trying to know what your if there's any particular uh ways that you know that sort of result how to resolve that and how to make a process heart focused. You know, it's um I
1: could I, I could talk for uh months on this subject <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely a, I a made nuts, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know think about what you're putting into a policy you know and into a process and um i'm trying to figure out which way which way to go with this first you, you know so I'll, I'll hit policy first and you know i was talking to a ceo a couple of years ago and uh he's very much opposed to employee handbooks and policies and things like that And um, so, of course, I had a great long conversation with him because, you know, we speak the same language. Um, But his point is, you know, policies really what they do is they keep the worst performers, you know, in line. You know, they they they, they're used to kind of govern the bad performers and they provide handcuffs for the top performers. Mm -hmm. He says, I would rather not have the policies and deal with the worst performers some other way. Mm. And, um, you know, so that my top performers can really go out and do what they do. And, and that's so true. You know, there are things that, you know, in the U.S., at least, and, you know, it's a, it's the same in Europe. Um, you know, there's policies you have to have. And so you have those. But don't create policies where you don't need to have policies. And, um, and the second thing there is also revisit the policies. You know, I, I I work with an organization now that's under a lot of stress because, you know, they're not allowed to make decisions to spend more than like hundred dollars at a time because somebody stole from them, you know, 12 years ago, <laughs> you know, and, um, and by way of inflation and, and, and so, you know, revisit those policies, but when it comes to process, you know, process is a big one. And I'm doing some work in this space now too. The, uh, we've been raised that we should have a process for everything because we want consistency. And, and there's a lot to be said for that, right? I come out of a lean manufacturing environment and you know, I get that, but things are changing. And the processes really are limiting companies in a couple of ways. One big one is with supply chain shortages that we're, we're facing in 2022, uh, hopefully you know, by the time this podcast comes out, we're not dealing with it. But, the, uh, but with supply chain issues, the process that's gonna be successful in an environment like that is a process that has flexibility. That mm. really allows people to solve problems and be creative. That's how you get past that. And, and by the way, you're going to have more engaged, more excited, more successful employees if you give them room to make decisions. Mm. And, and they're making decisions in their job. And nobody knows that job better than they do, probably. And so processes are good and are necessary, but there needs to be enough space in there to allow for you know unexpected circumstances mm. and for, to allow for creative problem solving and doing the right thing
0: <clears throat> yeah because because you know, michael gerber who's the uh, you know with the e-myth he's the one that everyone talks to about the systemization and and uh sort of the, uh, the vanguard of that uh, that language but he always said that you 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 systemize the norm and um, humanize the exception um okay. and you know you have to have that human element in there um as you say um
1: yeah
0: and well and too
1: many processes don't allow for the human element to come in. exactly they assume the norm is always the norm
0: (laughs) whereas there's some things you've alluded to are not the norm you know um and it's a factoring for that i I mean the the um i guess it's you know again it's a terminology thing isn't it but it becomes more guidelines rather than I may not be the right phraseology but it's uh yeah uh, you know, ways of behaving and i know say i know people that you know if you've got a vision for where you're going and everyone knows what the ultimate outcome is and you've got values that everybody holds important you've got enough sort of scope to be able to make a sensible decision based on that alone
1: yeah you know and uh, it becomes guidelines or, or it becomes guardrails
0: right good say that one again
1: or it becomes guardrails guardrails yeah. yeah, so you know there there is a limit to what you can do, but you can play anywhere within those guardrails. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Very good. Hmm. Yeah, I, I've so, just had it not um, you know, when you when you explained the thing about the process, it made absolute sense, but it's it's something I've not um you know heard heard, heard talked about very much. So it was a really good point. So I just wanted to sort of spend a bit of time in there. Um not to dis discount it, but yeah, you know, time management. Everyone's talking about that.
1: <laughs> I could go on that too. Oh, for sure. <laughs> uh,
0: but um, I, well, I should you know, if you've got one um, one key thing when it comes to time management, one or two key things that uh, people are worth keeping in mind. What what would you share on that front?
1: Yeah, so it's two things. Um, there, there's two. If I have to pick two. Um, you know, one is not everything is important,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, so prioritization, right, and um, the second is it's not all about time management, there's a piece of it that people ignore called energy management, mm. and and people have different times of day that they have higher energy, you know, so, you know, I, and personally, I have high energy in the morning, and, you know, and I get, sometimes I'll get another burst, you know, in the evening, you know, but that early afternoon space is just not good for me. You know, it's it's a low energy, right? So whatever I'm doing in that space, I'm gonna do slower and I'm gonna do less creatively. And so I try to structure my day around, you know the real high impact things, the real key things try to do them in the morning. And then um, let the afternoon be, maybe it's more the administrative kind of stuff or, you know, or, or maybe I schedule meetings I don't have to be engaged in as much um things like that and then so really kind of managing your energy and what you align in that space of it can can really have a big impact
0: and presumably you know at a very basic there's there's gonna be sophisticated things but at a very basic level it's just being observant because you know how you are
1: (laughs) people know how they are you know you you don't need a you don't need me to come in and tell you that uh, you like to take an afternoon nap. <laughs> <laughs> you know that much better than me. But, but yeah, it is being observant and it is being intentional about what you do when.
0: You don't have any companies that have got uh, sleep pods in, in their, uh, <laughs> on their <I> don't. <laughs> The afternoon nap.
1: I, I, I don't, although, you know what, we have um, yeah, you know, we do have a lot of still have a lot of remote work going on. So
0: well, <laughs> <laughs> that's certainly a yeah uh, <clears throat> new way of being. But uh, but yeah, and because when it becomes um, you know, the re- the result uh, is more important as to when the thing happens, isn't it? Um, yeah, and and if if somebody's doing what needs to get done, and they're doing it well. And they're doing it in an engaged way, then all good. Doesn't matter whether if they want to do that at midnight because they're a night owl or whatever, then fine. And sleep till ten in the morning. <laughs> it really doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. You, you know, it's uh, it, it is interesting. I just saw a number um, in in the U.S. A survey was just done fairly recently. Seventy seven percent of people want to control where they work. Ninety three percent want to control when they work. And, and, you know, I haven't fully unpacked that yet, but I think a lot of that is, the, you know, the manifestation of energy, right, if, when they have the higher energy. Some of it is more along the lines of parenting and things like that, of course, but there are some people that making them come to work at 8am, you know, isn't the best use of their energies.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the, 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 the parenting complicates the matter. But ultimately, it's still the same thing. It's just a more complex version of the same situation. Yeah. Um, yep. Ultimately, energy is a scarce resource you know, within a particular window of time. And it's managing that best as uh, best your abilities, isn't it? As you say.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's maximizing what you have because, you know, you're not going to get more time.
2: Mm.
0: so the one so yeah the one thing we can't get back um okay. so um so we've got an idea where you we're going there we go. so this, this we've, we've we've heard um you know we know what uh what uh, has got you excited through all your life but just just pull things together in a nice little sort of nutshell for us and um i'll ask you the question that everybody on the podcast gets uh Gets asked, asked, um, Wade, what is it that makes your bits tingle?
1: Yeah, you know, it's um, what makes my bits tingle is to really be able to meet with somebody, you know, problem solve and figure out what's going on and help and get it to so they're really enjoying and are successful and are winning at their business. When you see that happen, the bits are tingling.
0: Excellent thank you wade and if um if anybody needs to um, find out how they can uh, how they can win um where should they look for you how can they track you down
1: so a couple of ways yeah start with um my website which is www.aimtowinllc.com and then um, i'm also uh, very active on linkedin you can find me under uh, wade thomas and um, i have a podcast called the aim to win podcast easy to remember. And then of course, check out the book. It's available on Amazon or on my website.
0: And that's, uh, that's called from the heart is uh, from the heart. I'll, um, I'll put links to all of those things into the show notes as well, but not, uh, not everybody looks at them. So, um, uh, <laughs> just listening to the, uh, the audio, hopefully there's uh, enough there to get looking at. Um, thank you, Wade. Um, really enjoyed that. I, I thought as as I say, that's, um, that little piece about the the looking at making processes more um, you know heart focused and, and less rigorous is a is a very much 180 degree shift from the probably the last what 30 40 years of maybe more of 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 business so that's a very interesting point and i, I love think, the, I common... think since
1: the industrial revolution
0: well <laughs> yeah but i mean it's just been built bit it sort of built up and built up to become more of a, a thing, hasn't it? In, uh, in the eighties, it was it was uh, all anything talked about, but yeah. And um, shifting from time management to energy management, I, again, and really, um, really interesting. But ultimately, everything that you talk about has been: if you lead a life of compassion and empathy, and 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 work with you know the people around you, the the, the clients, the suppliers, and everybody, and stuff coming from the heart as you say um, in the book, then bottom line is everybody wins.
1: Right. Right. Uh, that's uh, what we're all about.
0: That's what we're all about. So thank you so much for coming on and uh, I wish you all the best for the future.
1: Yep. Thanks for having me. It's definitely a, definitely a tingly experience. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Thank you. These podcasts are not necessarily here to give you all the answers. I want you to think about what's been said, what's come up, and how you might apply that to your own situation. And if you've enjoyed it, then please subscribe to the podcast and, of course, share it on the social media platforms, and so more people get a chance to hear what's going on. Thanks very much for listening. My name's Andrew Miller from Business Enjoyment, and I want you to enjoy your business so much, it makes your bits tingle.